This morning I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. In our holiday season, the time around Christmas in which we are, I want to spend a little time here speaking about the reality of the Christmas story from John, chapter 1. Not normally a passage someone might go to in speaking about Christmas, but I think you'll find the reality there as we think through it ourselves here this morning. And so I want to begin our time this morning by asking a question that really lies in the title of my sermon. And the question or the statement is this, I wonder if we believe the Christmas story. I wonder as people As people, do we believe the Christmas story? Maybe I should just simply ask it as a question in this way. Do you believe the Christmas story? We sing songs of Christmas. By the way, just not to throw a wrench into any of our thinking about Christmas, Christmas is not a biblical concept. I hope that didn't shake anybody's foundation too badly. Christmas is is a man-made concept in which we Christians rightly have hijacked the reality of Christmas for the good and glory of God by means of the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's not a Christian or it's not a uh, biblical concept. But we sing the songs of Christmas. We read the passages that surround the details in which we say and learn that it is the Christmas story. We, like this morning, think of the shepherds that were watching their flocks in the evening as they would normally do, and the angel comes to them and announces the birth of Jesus. We read that this morning, Luke chapter 2. We are reminded of other visitors from the east. The Magi, by the way, another wrench in your wheel, they were not kings. Magi does not mean kings. They were just simply well-educated men from the other countries in the east. And they came to inquire of the birth of this one who was reported to be the king of the Jews. Sometime later, the Magi came. But do we believe it? This time of year is really all about belief, isn't it? Even though the world has turned it into a massive display of consumerism and greed, Christmas is a season that is about belief. Because what you believe about Jesus is crucial to all of life. We live according to our belief our values in our personal lives, what we do as people, how you and I live, our personal attitudes toward one another are all based on what we believe. In other words, it is not what we say we believe that tells others what we do actually believe. It is actually what we do. Or, to say it another way, it is how we live that tells others what we actually believe. 
The Bible tells us in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That is simply to say that how you live will either confirm or deny what you say you believe. Now that is simply to understand that we cannot see belief. We cannot see when someone says, I believe. I cannot see your belief. You cannot see my belief. But what we do see in life is the outworking of our belief system as it affects our lives. Of course, in our world, there are many, many people who say that they believe in Christmas. They believe in Christmas, Jesus Christ as the Savior. That's what they say. We believe in Christmas. We have a religious foundational belief in Christmas. We believe in Christmas. And what they mean is we believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior, but their lives are a very contradiction of that very statement. I say that because if Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, and you say that you believe in Jesus and the miracle of his birth, shouldn't that belief have an effect upon you? Shouldn't Christmas have an effect upon your life? If Christmas is all about Jesus Christ, if our lives reflect just what it is we believe, isn't this then the bottom line of it all? This then is the main thing when it comes to Christmas. Belief. The main issue in all of life, and especially at Christmas, is belief in the very thing that the Bible declares and and, and many people ask the question, is Jesus God? Why do I say that? Because whatever we believe about God will have a profound impact upon how we live our lives. So if you actually believe the true Christmas story, then it should have a profound impact upon how you live right now. So belief is crucial. It is the crucial issue of our day. It was the crucial issue in the day when Jesus was born and when he walked the earth. In fact, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John writes, as we have been studying through the gospel even in our evening service over this last couple years, we know that the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John writes in chapter 20 and verse 31 exactly why he wrote what he wrote here. And he wrote what he wrote here. He gave us the vignettes that he gave so that these things that he has written, you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. In other words, These things have been written so that your life might be affected by the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Because when you believe that, you will have eternal life in His name. Now, please notice how John begins this entire book with some of the details of the first Christmas, or what we call the first Christmas because they're included here, although we might not readily recognize it. Notice what he says in the beginning. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now go over to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, that is John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he has existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He has explained Him. Right there in just those few verses of the Gospel of John at the introduction of His entire book in which He wants us to believe that Jesus is the very Christ, the Son of God, so that in believing in Him we might have life in His name. Right there at the very beginning we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the Christmas story. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. This is who Jesus is. This is who he is. Sadly, the name of Jesus is an offense in many circles. In fact, it's not even politically correct, it seems, anymore to use the name Jesus. You can't even necessarily say Merry Christmas anymore. The name Christ is an offense in our politically correct world The name Jesus or the name Christ can be either a word that encourages or a word that is used as a curse. People either identify with the name or they are turned off by it. I was reading a news report some time ago of a vandal painting on local churches, Jesus must die. Now there's a confused vandal to start with. But it's obvious that that vandal had an offense to Jesus Christ. Jesus has always been the dividing line in every human heart, every religion. And the Bible tells us that we as Christians do not fight against flesh and blood. We do not fight against the things of humanity. We fight against not philosophies of men. We fight against ideologies powers that are outside of the realms of men, worldly thinking. And most of all, it all centers around the question, who is Jesus? Who is the Christmas story? Now we can understand from the first five verses of John's Gospel that the divine word is not a created being. In the beginning was the Word. That's self-existence. That's there without any kind of created uh, 
exercise causing it to be. In the beginning, before beginnings ever were beginnings, the Word was there. The divine Word existed. And the Word was with God. There is the first example that we hear here in John's Gospel of the idea of a triune God. The Word was with God, and God was the Word, or the Word was God. There's the idea of one God being multiple persons, yet one God. Not a created being. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In other words, He has always existed and is not a being. He is not like us who are created. He was not created. He is, in fact, the Creator of all things. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him and apart from Him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. There goes evolution. Totally destroyed. One verse. Everything that came into being, came into being by Him, not by a process of time. Nothing has come into being over a process of time. Everything's come into being through Him, and nothing came into being that has not come into being except by Him. Sorry, scientists. You're wrong. John tells us, of all that has been made, there is nothing that has existence without him or through him. And so, out from this divine word, which is God, verse 1 tells us, flows both physical and spiritual life. And it is this reality that informs the understanding of men. He is the light of men. He shines in the darkness, and yet, Men don't want it. This is the true meaning of Christmas. And therefore, it is interesting to note that of all the people that should have known Christ, of all the people that should have recognized Him to be exactly who He was, it should have been those in that day who were looking for a Savior. But John tells us that even though the Word came into the world, verse 10 and the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own, verse 11, did not receive him. Those who should have known who he was did not know him, did not want him. They rejected, they refused to believe. They were looking for something different. They were looking for a political ruler. They were looking not for a spiritual king. They were looking for an earthly king. They were tired of the rule over them. They were tired of the government that was upon them. They wanted out from it. They wanted to, in the words of us New Englanders here, live free or die. Get out from above me. Get off of me. I want my own way. I want my autonomous way of living. I do not want the government over me. We want a king that will allow us to do exactly what we want. Jesus, you are not it. They wanted out from that kind of government. They wanted an earthly, national peace, not an eternal savior. So they rejected it. God came and confronted their belief system. 
said to them that your belief system needs to change. That's in essence what God was saying in Jesus Christ. Your belief system needs to change. You believe that through your good things, through keeping the religious activities, you will be right with God. You need to change your belief system because that's not going to save you at all. He challenged their belief system. They were the problem, not the government. They were the issue. In contrast, however, to those who would believe that God gave them the authority, it says, to become children of God. But as many as received him, verse 12, in them he gave the right, that's authority, to become the children of God. To those who believe in His name. Those who believe in His name. They had a badge of identification as the children of the King if they would believe. It was not attained through heritage. It was not attained because they somehow were Jewish people. It's not attained this day because somehow you were born into a Christian home or that you went to a Christian school, or that your doctor's a Christian. Not because they're religious good people. They couldn't do enough good acts to please a holy God. He requires perfection. They certainly would never reach that. And so the only way they or any of us could make it into the kingdom of God is to be born of God. That's why he says in verse 3, who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need to have God make us new. And that is why John puts verse 14 here. That is why John says what he says in verse 14 and the following verses here, and why I believe... They are so important for us at Christmas time. Because you and I, as well as every man, need to be saved from our sinful state. That's what we need. And it is here in verse 14 that we see firsthand the incredible mercy of God by means of His gift to us. By means of what we call Christmas. By the way, this is the last time in the gospel that you see the word, that title, the word used. John started it in verse 1, and this is the last time in verse 14 that he uses that terminology, that title. In contrast to verse 1, the eternal word steps now, verse 14, into creation and becomes flesh. In other words, the eternal word takes upon himself that which he was not before. The word became flesh. He was not flesh before. He is eternal spirit before. He is God in the glories of heaven before the earth was ever was, before he ever created anything, and yet he creates and then enters into creation that which he was not before. He became flesh. He was not created, as some try to say. The divine word simply assumed human existence. 
And therefore, he was able to feel like we feel. He assumed human existence. Therefore, he was able to hear and see. He was able to sense the very things that we sense. Yet without the imperfection of sin. He was 100% man, though he is perfectly holy and in a perfectly prepared holy body. He enters into time and yet never ceased to be the eternal word. Philippians chapter 2 simply says, He came in the form of a man. Came in the form of a man. In John chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says that he experienced fatigue and thirst. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept, the verse that we all like to memorize because it's so long. He became fully human. And it says here, he dwelt among us. The word became flesh. God incarnate became flesh, eternal creator, eternal God, the pre-existent one, the eternal existent one became man and dwelt among us. He became fully human and it says he dwelt among us. Literally, that means he pitched his tent here. He pitched his tent here. That's really what it means. The word is is the word for tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. It's the same word or the same idea that is used in the Old Testament when God led the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel comes out of Egypt. They are now being led by Moses, by God, through Moses and Aaron into into the desert. And the glory of God dwells with them in the tabernacle. That's where you get the idea of pitched his tent. Tabernacle was a tent originally. So the divine word, it says, tabernacled with us here. God had instructed the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to build a tabernacle for him, a place where he could come, a place where he could dwell with them and lead them. And Exodus 40 tells us that God did just that. And he led the people until... Until they disobeyed him. And his glory departed from the tabernacle. Glory left. Now here, John is borrowing from that imagery. John is thinking back to that moment, that time when God came and tabernacled with Israel. He came Here he's saying God became man and lived among us. And notice it says here his glory was evident. And we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Just as the glory of God could be seen in the tabernacle in the desert, so could the glory of God be seen in this one who is the divine word. The glory of God could be seen in Jesus Christ in all the display of the attributes of God in Him. All that Jesus did, all that Jesus said, displayed that He was in fact God with us. The Word that became flesh. He was full of goodness, 
full of mercy. He was full of wisdom. And our text here says he was full of grace and truth. Do you notice that? Full of grace and truth. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead tabernacled bodily in Christ. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 5 verse 2 where the man who was full of leprosy, that idea, the disease had overtaken his entire being. That's the idea here. It's the idea in Colossians. That's the idea that John's getting across here. It's a fullness idea. Christ was and is the fullness of God without lacking any part. He is God in every way. This is the one whom John is presenting before us so that we might believe. This is the one who was born. This is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. So the divine word who has always existed is that same one who came to earth to dwell with man so that man might believe in him. This is why I say it's about belief. So do you believe in Christmas? Do you see? Do you believe in Christmas? Verse 15 tells us that this is the very one that John the Baptist was preaching about. God of very gods. The Messiah, the Savior, the Promised One. The God who created the world in Genesis 1 is the same God who came to dwell with us on that first Christmas morning. He is the same God that John the Baptist is preaching about. Same God that John the Baptist preaching is preparing the way for and all who were there at that time saw his fullness. Full of grace, full of truth. All those who were there saw God. They saw God as he walked among them. They saw God as he healed those who were sick. They saw God as he exhibited that he was truly the God that came. The only true God. And that He was truly the God who gave, notice, grace. He was full of grace. We always have needed the grace of God, haven't we? Man, since the fall, has been in need of the grace of God and has been the recipient of God's grace. Grace upon grace, in fact, it says in verse 16, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, it says. What does that mean, grace upon grace? Well, it means that God has replaced the old grace with new grace. Grace upon grace. The old grace is gone, new grace is here. What does that mean? Well, the old grace is associated with the law of Moses. In other words, there was a way in which the law didn't have grace, but it was gracious that God gave the law. It was gracious that God would give man a way in order that he might practice before God all the things that God required of him so that man would see how sinful he was that he needed a God who to save him. 
That was an act of grace. In the law of Moses, God had provided a gracious, sacrificial system by which man could temporarily deal with his sin. Not permanently, but temporarily. You know how it went. The priest would go into the the holy place before God, different kinds of sin, different kind, different times, one time a year into the holy of holies, present the offering required by the law that God had graciously given to the nation of Israel through Moses, and that would temporarily cover the sin and allow the sinner to continue living. In other words, the sinner was shown grace. <laughs> I remember when my children were young, we used to oftentimes have to chastise them for disobedience, and one of my children would always say, Dad, can I have more grace? He knew he needed grace. That's what the priest did. Went in before God through the gracious offering that God had allowed and God would give grace to the sinner. Something had to die. A life had to be sacrificed. But it wasn't going to be the sinner at that moment. Leviticus 16 tells us that the blood must be shed for sin. There must be a sacrifice for sin. And through the grace of God, that could be done by an offering of a sacrifice in the Old Testament. John tells us that in the Christmas birth came new grace. New grace. In other words, in Jesus Christ, God had replaced the old system with a new grace. In other words, the old kind of grace that is associated with the law and the keeping of the law was was no longer there. The new grace is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by grace through faith that your sin is dealt with. Christ is the grace of God in the flesh. He himself became a sacrifice for sin. You see, in him, the system of sacrifice by means of the law was done away with. That was done away with in Christ because he became the perfect sacrificial lamb. He is the lamb of God. He was and is in him. It was, it was and is in him that we see God. Sinful man could never look upon a holy God and live. The holy God could never excuse sinful man. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. And so it's only because of Jesus Christ do we know God. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. He is God. He is God with us. Therefore, God is the gift of Christmas. God is the gift of Christmas. The only way you or I could ever look upon God is to see him veiled. His pure glory is veiled in Christ. One day we will see him as he is because we will be like him, immortal. No man has ever seen God at any time, John says. 
verse 18 tells us, nobody's seen God at any time. John said, we saw Christ. They saw God, but they didn't see God unveiled. Even Peter, John, and James on the mountain in the transfiguration wasn't the Shekinah blazing glory of God when Christ even peeled back his flesh because Peter's standing there talking with Moses and Elijah and Jesus as Jesus is shining in blazing glory. It wasn't until the cloud came down that they were frightened and bowed to the ground and Peter said, maybe something should be done. And Jesus says, don't be frightened, get up. Even Jesus had a veiled glory that one day we will see. You see, if you or I could look at God, we would be instantaneously consumed. Except for the fact that we're veiled in Christ. And so God graciously and mercifully veiled himself in the form of man. And that man is Jesus Christ, and he explains God to us. He exegetes God. He explains Him. What a grace we have seen. So we can be thankful, can't we? We can be thankful that we have received the grace that has come through the gospel of Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You see, we can be thankful that we have received that grace. Let me ask again the question that we began with. Do you believe the Christmas story? Do you believe it? It's the story of God with us. It's the story of Jesus Christ who is God with us. The eternal God steps out of the realms of glory and lives among men so that we might live with Him. How? Through repentance and faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, there's, there's, there's a group of people here, there's faces here, most of you I know, and, and many of you I know are truly saved believers, but there are people here who are not saved. You say you believe Christmas, but it has no effect on your life. The Bible tells us that there's no other name among heaven by which you must be saved. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is God with us. He has proven himself through what he's made. He has proven himself by coming to live with us. What is the Christmas story? Jesus Christ. God with us. There is no other story. That's it. It's, it's, it's a one-page story with multiple pages of ramifications and implications. Jesus Christ is the story. He is the one who made everything. He is the one who many, sadly, have rejected. And many, even sitting here this morning, are going to go out the doors rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the story of Christmas. And we're going to weep for you because you're going to walk out the doors 
with another step towards hell and the wrath of God remaining on you, and we're going to weep for you. Because you say you believe Christmas, but you don't. You believe some made-up story, some children's rhyme. You believe something that is not true, and you're going to hell. And we're going to weep for you. Because this is what you must believe in order to know God. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you will have life in His name. Let's pray. Father, break the hearts of these people that you might be recognized in their soul. Help us to share this truth this week. May each moment we hand a trinket to one another, we help them understand that this just represents the greater gift of all. The gift of your Son, God with us dwelling among us that we might know you. Oh, Lord, help us weep for the lost. Help us be crushed in our soul by those who reject you. Thank you by your grace and mercy for opening our eyes to see the truth. Don't let that have no effect. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing. Let them hear. Open the ears of their sinful heart that they might hear the truth, repent of their sin, and turn genuinely to Jesus Christ. seems trivial just simply to say thank you and yet you're glorified in it so lord we say thank you for jesus christ the greatest gift that could ever be given it's his in his name we pray amen